0: I got some big shoes to fall here now, so y'all kind of look over some of the things I, I say sometimes, because you fill in them kind of shoes, it's kind of hard to get up here and do. We were over there at the uh, Passage banquet in February. I was looking for these glasses. And I looked all over when I was up there at the podium. I had them on my face. I had lost them. I already had them on. So that's that's how good. This testimony here is Todd Kinute. He was a pastor. He grew up in Northern California. And uh, in high school, he was a lifeguard and became, he, he was, Went to Christ at age 18. He possessed Christ, says his Savior. And on the beaches in the summer, he like I said, he was a lifeguard. There was a homeless man that he kind of, I don't know, he, as he said, he took him under his wing or he took him under his wing. It was kind of tipped with or tap there. They kind of looked out for each other. But his family was getting ready to move, and he hadn't seen water for a while. So he went down to the beach that last day looking at him. And Walter found him. He come up to him excited. He had been saved at a revival, and he had accepted Christ as his savior. And he was he was just beaming with joy. He told him in the crowd going out, they'd run into some Gideons passing out Bibles, and they'd give him two orange censers, and uh, told him to keep one and give the other one to a friend. So he handed it to Todd. Give, give the Bible to him. He went home in the moving process. He threw it in the box and like a lot of times it's forgot about uh, When they moved on to Northern California, he became a Christian, a teacher in a Christian school up there, and a youth pastor. And he he just felt like he was doing it in the church, but it didn't feel like he was growing with Christ. So talking to a friend he suggested, he, he knew that he uh, run a lot, walk. He suggested that he find a safe place, kind that he felt at peace and meditate and talk to the Lord there. So he run up the mountains. He found a place that, this won't for me now, it was a three mile incline that he went up and he found a place at the top to rest. Some of you young people might, that three mile might be but Get my age that three miles is a lot. So he found a place around a tree that he rested, in uh, what two three and a half years. He sat under that tree reading that little New Testament when he got up there. And he he was just not only reading it, but his thoughts and stuff. He wrote down on paper and stuff and margins, anywhere he could, his thoughts and whatever come to his mind for that time. Well, his family, during that time, he got married. He had a child. He even put that in there, blessing for his child. But his, he was getting ready to uh, change up and go to a different area. He was uh, getting ready to move. So he went up the hill there that last time. He thought he was going to pick his Bible and stuff, his notes, and care with him. He got there. Somebody had dug up and took his stuff. And he was kind of disturbed. And uh, this went on about 10 years later. The phone run. And he said, is this Pastor Todd? Said, yes, it is. He told him, well, I got your Bible. I said, no, you don't. I got them right here. Then it dawned on him. He said, I got that orange testament. And it dawned on him what he was talking about. You see, uh, the phone calling His daddy had it. But before him, he was in state prison. And his cellmate had it. And by reading that Bible, taking it, he was able to carry this boy's daddy to Christ. Save Christ. Not only from the Bible, but the notes and stuff that he wrote his thinkings over that period of time. But it didn't stop just there now. His daddy was able to save over 200. People while he was in prison, and that one Bible, he was able to carry him to Christ, and he asked him did he, he wanted it back. He told him no. He, he didn't really let it go. It might do some more. Well, about three years later, he got a call again when they just passed the to Todd. The fellows told him he had his Bible. Hector was his name, and uh, he talked with him. He got. He said there's five names in the front of that Bible where you put your names up here in the front he said there's five different people that listed up there and he was talking with him about it and the reading and he would not left the words because he he was kind of borderline he had faith but he won't he wasn't strong as he should be but he asked him what the words and all that had wrote in there were they true and he told him yeah and I asked him about the uh, the word of God coming out. That he had he said that it was sharper than a sword piercing somebody's heart. And he told me it was. Well, he asked the fellow about the logo. Did you know anything about the giddings? The fellow said, well, I asked around when I got this Bible, did uh, anybody know Mr. Gidding? And he finally ended up getting an application to become a Giddin from that deal. And he was able to go into schools and things to help pass the Bibles out. So, you know, it's amazing what a dollar 20 cent can do. That's what these testament, that testament costs, a dollar 20 cent, roughly. But it's amazing how many lives, when it goes out, what it can touch and what it can do from that one Bible, how it spread and just went so many places and touched so many people. We never know when we, when we put them out. As you know, I'm with the Giddings International. Get my eyes back on here, man. I'd like to share with you some of the things we do and what we do and how you can help do it. Who are the Giddings? We're born again Christian and professional men and women. Because, like I say, the backbone, what you might say, we're the men at the Giddings, but the auxiliary. Is our backbone, too. So we rely on the women a lot. Since uh, 1908, we put out over 2 million Bibles, 2 billion Bibles, not million, two billion. 2 billion. Last year, we put out about 90 million. Out of that 90 million, the getting of the self now, when we put this Bible out, we pay for it. We buy it. And it's put out on a one-on-one basis. It's not passed out at a school or fire or something like that. We got to put it in somebody's hand. We got to talk to. Last year, over three million Bibles were bought by Giddings and Rosier in this country and passed out on a one-on-one basis. Three million people had a chance to to come to the Lord. So you see, yes, it's just not about putting the Bible out. It's about getting the word out when we get it out. Right now. I reckon about, I heard a thing the other day, about in the last four or five years, born-again Christians has dropped. There's been an 8% drop in people that claim to be a born-again Christian. So when I hear things like that, that's the reason I, I'm that much more determined to get this Bible out and get somebody saying. We place the Bibles in schools hospitals, doctor's offices. We put it in prisons, military, even just like we got coming up. That's another thing. We got the prayer coming up here in the county starting next week. We'll be in there. Our sole thing will be there to work, to put this word out, trying to reach the young people that we can't in the schools now. So please keep us in prayer that we go to that fire that we'll have a good turnout and we'll reach a lot of these young people. But you take, you know, these Bibles go out. Sometimes they sit there a while in Hawaii. There was a couple there that had been through the bombing in Japan. And they left Japan and went to Hawaii to live after the bombing. And they they received a Bible. Fifty years that Bible sat there. Didn't do nothing. Well, they did do something. Their daughter had got saved from that one Bible but their parents hadn't got saved because they were Hindus. Getting down to close to the end of their life, their daughters finally talked to them with that Bible they got early, and they accepted Christ, both of them. Not at the same time, but she talked to her mama first, and she accepted in her daddy. But before they passed away, both of them were Christians. So when we put these Bibles in them places, we don't know. We don't know. You take uh, in a motel, We've been told a lot of times, like, like Pastor Dean was talking about a while ago, there's a lot of testimonies we get on this. In a motel, uh, many a time that that Lord's Bible has been put in there, somebody is there in that motel with one thing in mind, that's to take their life. And but God's help, they make it to that nightstand. That Bible pulls them to them, and they read it. And before the night, they'll accept in Christ, and they'll take a different swing on life. They're not looking down that uh, suicidal path. You say there's a lady, that uh, she was looking around a house, looking for a piece of rope She would hang herself. And she was looking around trying to find a piece long there. And by that time, her child come in from school. And he was excited. He said, Mama, look what Mr. Gideon gave me today. He had an orange testament where he got at school. She put it up took it off her mind and went to see him. He was so excited, talking, and they talked and read that Bible. And before the night, that suicide had gone out of her mind and Christ had stepped in. So there's there's so many cases like that that these Bibles, it's so important for us to get them out. And, you know, just like in foreign countries, there's a young boy over there. He wasn't 15 years old. And he got a Bible in school. And over there was a Hindu village. And they weren't born to have no Bibles. and weren't born to even think about reading. But he got it in school, brought it home, on the slide, read it, and set to Christ. Well, somehow or another, his daddy found out about it. And he confronted him about it. He told him that he would burn that Bible, accept Christ and burn that Bible, or there would be consequences to him. But the boy told him that, he believed in Jesus. He was going to follow Jesus. So they took this young man and tied him between two trees. They were going to beat the living death out of him if he didn't change his mind. One of his uncles in the village spoke up. They had a little meeting. About 30 minutes later, they come out of it. And they give him a chance then. It was his choice. They accept their way or then the Bible go out or stay with the Bible. Well, he said he's going to follow Jesus. He believed in him. So at 15, he was thrown out of the village, out of his house with nothing on but the clothes on his back. God's hand, a preacher got, he ended up with a preacher. And not only that, in that area, there were some giddens working, doing some preparation, And they heard his story. They helped him to go to school. He ended up becoming a pastor, and he could win any place. But where did he go? Right back where he was raised, starting churches in that same community, trying to reach some people. So you see, these Bibles, are just, it's just amazing what they can do. They can't do a thing like this. But if we can get it out there, get that thing open, there's just so much that that Bible can do. Like I said, we got that, we're in uh, about 200 countries now, in and out, because right now you got so many countries, just like China. Christians are persecuted over there right strong now. And there's a lot going on in China. They're confiscating Bibles, they don't want them to go in, stuff like that. But it's just like a back to a motel presentation. My clerk got a call about the Bible in the room. The father wanted to know if he could have it, could use it, could carry it back with him. He was leaving the next day to go back to China. And he called two or three times and then made a trip to the night clerk to make sure it was all right to get that Bible. And just think, now, he couldn't get it no other way because he couldn't get Bibles in China there. But him carrying that word back like that, what the opportunity he had and the others he touched. So it's important for us. To me, it's very important to get these Bibles out. But we got this app card that we started a couple years ago. And uh, I, I left some back there for y'all using the trick-or-treat things to reach people. But about 65% of people now using apps for Bibles, I still like that hard copy. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not on this computer stuff. But there's so many places that this can go, just like I was talking about China. They can't stop through the airways. And there's so many places it can go where we can't get these hard copies anymore. So it's very important to put that Bible out. But it's also important, I push these cards strong. You take this summer. My wife was over there in Greenwood in March for a month. And we were over there to it. And these cards, I got a chance to talk to a lot of people. I put some hard copies out, but I got a chance to get these. There's so much of a diversity of uh, cultures over there that a lot of nurses I talked to and gave, and they, they were thankful to get these with the opportunity that they had, because there's, there's about 150 to 200 languages on this app, and that was something that, you know, they could carry back home too. So this app called is a way, like, I hate to say it, but it's a way of the future. You got to get the young people and stuff in, in their own thing. And I know here that the youth pastor was telling me he's he done it. This is the new one. It's a life book. And y'all, y'all's youth been working with the, the one before this. One. This is a new one. And uh, over 2 billion teens have been given over 31 million life books since this program's been out. It can get in places where they, we can't go with the hard copy of the Bible. There's no restrictions on that life book. And like I say, I think in this one it's Mark, the chapter of Mark, that's highlighted in there. And there's a lot of comments from their peers, young children, their age and all. And there's a lot of things that bring it down to that level. So that's a good, good program that uh, we got to work with. <coughs> but like I say, I was saying a while ago with prayer, this prayer coming up. We went through it at the uh, garden spot up here in the spring. No activity like that that we start without prayer. Just like this service here, it's been prayed for a few months ahead of time. Everything that we do is geared on prayer. And prayer is the foundation for us doing everything. Every activity we do, we start it with prayer. So it's important for that, and it's important to have y'all's uh, thoughts on it, praying, and have us in your prayers in order for us to have the strength to carry this work out. Because we can't do it alone. It's got to be a group thing. And like I say, all of us, even named a while ago, the members we have. But every giving is a member of their local church. And we're not something to separate from the church. We're just arm of that church In order to reach out and do the things, because we can't do what we do without the church backing us. Because with y'all's financial support and backing, that we're able to do the things that you hear. We got a testimony here we're about to see, and I say, he, I want you to listen to it, look at it, and don't. He, he's come. I ain't gonna say I'll mess it up if I keep talking about it, but we'll have it. Hold on the screen there for you see.
1: I was 10 years old, and I held my mother's gun to my head, <laughs> and I wanted to blow my brains out all over her wall. You must ask the question, why would a 10-year-old child want to die? 10 is a time to dream of being an astronaut. Of being a soccer star, a football player, a preacher, a pastor, a doctor. But for me, life was so horrific with so much vitriol and pain, I wanted to die. I'm the product of interracial immigrants. My grandmother was tall, white, and thin from Germany, and we called her French Fry. My grandfather was a big burly black man from Cuba and we called him Hamburger. Hamburger met french fry and created a happy meal. And these two immigrants produced seven McNuggets with special sauce. We would joke that we would have Schnitzel with salsa for Thanksgiving. My grandfather had to hide the fact in the 1940s in America that he was married to a Caucasian woman. But one wedding anniversary, he had a flaw. He liked to drink overproof Cuban rum. And one evening, he was inebriated. And a man saw them together and said to my grandmother, why would you be a nigger lover? My grandfather, with huge arms, lost his temper and hit the man in the jaw and broke his neck. The man didn't die, but he was injured severely. He went to the worst prison, convicted of the crime, Mansfield Reformatory in Ohio, locked down 23 hours a day. It hit the newspapers that my grandmother was married to this convicted felon, and she lost her job. But being a German woman, she didn't complain or whine or woe is me. She began to work odd jobs, cleaning other people's houses and toilets, taking care of their children. But as she was working, she would have fainting spells, passing out, doing her job. She went to the doctor and discovered that she had a tumor growing behind her left eye that was metastasizing to her brain. And the doctor said, we have to take out a third of your face, your eye, you will be malformed and disformed and disfigured for the rest of your life. What do you do? The American dream becomes an American nightmare. She could not work, she was sick and mutilated. My grandfather's in jail and day by day they lost everything that they had acquired. They lost their house, they lost their car, they lost their furniture, they lost their dignity, they lost their self-esteem, and they were living in the streets like animals. My three uncles got hooked on heroin. They belonged to a gang called the Devil's Disciple. And my entire family became atheistic. No God, no prayer, no Bible, no hope. And my mother at age 14 was called by a pimp named Larry who said to her, what is school doing for you? You are sitting on a gold mine. She said, where? He said, you're sitting on it. And we call this being turned out, and little by little, she began to sell her 14-year-old body to grown men for money to survive. It's called turning tricks. And at age 16, she got pregnant. We call it having a trick baby. Two strangers meet for a business transaction, and there's a mistake. The pimp said, you can't make any money having a baby in the oven. We have got to kill this baby. They kicked her in her stomach. They fed her alcohol. They gave her drugs. They took a hanger and stabbed the baby over and over again. But the baby would not die. The baby was born two months premature with no pancreas, a learning disability, a bladder too small, unable to function, a severe stutterer. We call it a trick baby. Nobody wants the baby. No hope, no future. Kill it was the word. That baby was me. I'm the lowest of the low. I come from the guttermost. I come from a hellish condition. And so when I would go to school, I couldn't talk. I stuttered so severely from the trauma. My mother had a madam who hated men. Her name was Dolores, and she was a sadist. And when she would watch me, she would take a broomstick and stick it in a place where no boy should have any object in his body. And when you are tortured like that, you learn four things. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, and pretend nothing is happening. And by age 10, I had had enough. I want it to die. And in my school, they put me in a boiler room with other kids who were dysfunctional like me, where we would finger paint all day long. And yet there was a teacher, thank God for her, who had a Gideon Bible, and she came to my school and she saw kids like me as her mission field. And she would give me this Gideon Bible and read to me stories of dysfunctional characters who God used. She would say to me, Ronaldo, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. He will turn your pain into power, your wounds into wisdom. She had me read the story of Moses, who was also a stutterer. I began to understand that God did love a trick baby. Even as low as I was, there was hope for me and possibility. And when a child begins to understand the love of God and the power of his word and the possibilities, it changes everything. How can a young man keep his way clean by taking heed according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart may not sin against thee I began to memorize the Bible that Gideon Bible reading 2,000 scriptures and when you put that kind of word in a life something begins to happen my stuttering went away I stopped wetting the bed I stood tall I became valedictorian became a pastor and priest until everybody in my family got saved Why? Because somebody placed the Gideon Bible in a woman's hand that changed a life forever! Yes, I was born a trick baby, but the trick was on the devil because of you and the power of the Word of God!
0: <clears throat> that's kind of hard to follow up behind that testimony Amen. <laughs> so, when you have somebody that's been, been through it been raised up in it like he was and the story he tells it's just hard to follow up hard to, hard to get up in and talk about it but we have Isaiah's word on this when that bible goes out It'll do the job for which it was sent. It won't come back void. You take, uh, this morning, we were talking to Sunday school. They were talking about the cards. And that's a program that we got, the card programs. And I, I put some back there. These are your pastor cards where you can uh, put Bibles in, honor your pastor this month, and send. And this one, you make any card to get in card. This is things for birthdays, announcements coming up, or different things you can send through these and make any card a Gideon card. But these getting cards, is, they, uh, they do a lot. They reach a lot of people. And I reckon most of them think, when you say the giving card like that, most of them think about simply somebody's passed away or something like that. But I know I've had where I've given them when somebody did pass away. That uh, I was told how much it meant to them that they every once in a while they go back and look over some of that. And they they know that them Bibles were placed in memory of their loved ones, and it meant a whole lot to them. So th- this is a program that the Gideons have that ha- helps us scale. And these Bibles, like, like I say, these here, well, uh, they cost about a dollar twenty. And like that first testimony. A dollar twenty can do a whole lot if it's in the right hands. So you you don't never know what these bibles do. These are uh, hotel bibles. Right now they're about five dollars. The life of them bibles in these hotels that we can get in. There's so many places now that we can't get in that our foreigners have bought these motels, and you got one right in counselors we just been got out of. That uh, we can't get in there and put the bibles. But there's about twenty five hundred people in the lifetime of that big bible that it reaches. And just think that one Bible in the lifetime in that motel, what it can do for 2,500 people. So that, that to me, it's is important to uh, put these Bibles out and do. I got to talk with I got a little time. As much you as know, I run a store downtown, and I've stumbled into stuff down there that I, it wasn't made that way. But I have a lot of stuff brought down there to me, and it's sold and goes to Bibles. Just like a while back, Doc Denton cleaned some stuff out and brought it down. There, there was a bicycle in there, John Deere bicycle, wicker, uh, rocker, child's wicker, rocker. But I, get, I have an opportunity there that, that I didn't ever dream I'd have of. But I get a chance to talk to them, like I, the lady that bought that bicycle. I told her about her buying it. Be sure and tell that grandchild every time they pedal, that somebody's getting a chance to be safe for her buying that thing. And that, I get a chance to talk to a lot of them like that. And it, it's very rewarding. It's something, like I say, it's something I didn't plan, but I stumbled into it. We have a lot of stuff down at the store. Uh, Alan Ham hadn't been long ago got me a, a load of glassware and stuff from the lady. There's a lot of catering stuff in it. And I've been selling it, and it all goes to the Bibles. So it's, the store is turning into something that it won't sort it out for. I get a chance to talk to them down there. Because if you come in, it ain't going to be long. We're going to get, something's going to come up. We well, you stand there long enough, it's going to come up. But, you know, I get a chance to talk to a lot of these young people. And right now, a lot of these crackheads, they won't even come to see me. Because every time they come in, they go to talk about wanting money. They need something to eat. You know what they want. But I'll turn around I'll put that Bible in hand and talk to them. And sometimes it'll do good. Sometimes I've had it through back at me. But you, you keep going and you keep hoping that that next one you put out is going to help that person. Because we got a lot of young people here in the Grange right now on these streets. That It is very important for us to reach out. Not only as Gideon, but as a church to try to reach these young people. There's a lot of them that don't have no home ground, background. They just don't have no support from home. And I've had one, I had one to tell me after I talked to him a while, that he didn't need Jesus. All he needed was his self. And you know, that young boy, he's in a lot of trouble right now. Last time he was in there, he thought it was funny. He stole a little toy gun from me. And it was Bible stuff. But the thing, thing I'm getting at with him, being a thing it's so funny. You picture him out there at night in a crowd and he draws that gun like he's shooting somebody. What you gonna do? Everyone who's out there, he point to he's gonna put a real gun at him. So that young man just don't realize that the things he's doing and how he's putting his life in harm's way. He needs to, we need to pray for him on silent prayer that he will change his ways one day. And that's what keeps me going. There's so many of them like that that I run into down there and I get a chance to talk to So like I say, I'm just blessed to have that store and be able to go down there and do things. But the Gideons opened these doors up for me. If I hadn't become a Gideon and got in these situations, I'd never open them doors up like that because I always sat on that pew and I didn't say nothing. So I'm thankful for the Gideons today for what they've done for me in helping me be able to follow the word two people that were lost. And I I got a minute, so I'm <laughs> going to say something else some of, some of them know it, the afternoon. As most some of you know, my wife had a stroke and heart attack in March. She stayed in Biden for a month. We got her out after Easter. She went to uh, the Bryan Center and gold for her. We got up there, in two weeks' time, they threw the hands up. Said they want nothing to do. They She wanted to stay that way. And uh, they dropped her on stuff. And a little bit later, they did throw the hands up. They told me that she'd be that way the rest of her life. But my prayer, in June, things changed. We were able to reach in that shell and reach her and get her wanting to do. And this was prayer every, every time we go up there. Because, look, I said a many a night, I'd come home from Greenville or even up there. And I was disturbed. Because, you know, you sit there, you see your loved one that sometimes didn't even know you. And you sat sitting there, and it worries you. And I'd go home, lay there and pray so I went to sleep. And I prayed strong. But I, I prayed for one thing, that she'd be able to come home. I didn't tell them to walk. I didn't tell them to get out here and run around the building. I said, just get her home. And in June, everything changed. They up there at the bryson they couldn't understand them doctors. They couldn't understand it. They didn't know what was going on. But you and me as Christians, we know what was going on. It was all this prayer all around the area. There were people praying in Goldsboro, Seven Springs, all around wherever we go. We'd meet people and they go to praying for And that prayer is what put her where she's at today and got that determination in her mind that she's going to do. So like I say, it's, I give thanks for that. I give thanks in September we were able to get her home. And like I say, it's not perfect. Some nights when I get up four or five times, you change her and stuff like that, you wonder, is it worth it? But when you look there, it's worth it. And I just give praise for that. And I just praise it all comes together because I'm a Gideon that the foundation has been laid that I, I can walk that walk that I'm walking. And I want to thank y'all for having me. Like I said, I rambled a little bit here last, but I want to thank you for having us here to speak today.